Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to talk about Blue-Red in Crimson Vow. Before I get into talking about Blue-Red, I want to remind everyone, as always, that the notes for this podcast are available on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes to uh, limited guru-level patrons, so you can follow along if you want. Before I also, before I get into talking about Blue-Red... I want to take a moment to just talk about blue in general in this format. Listeners may have noticed that this is the fourth blue archetype I've covered, and I've talked about other archetypes very little. This is because I have a lot more experience drafting blue than other archetypes, because I draft blue two-thirds of the time that I draft this format. And the reason that I draft blue so much is that it's available way more than it should be. And when I say should be, that is making a uh, claim based on statistics, uh, according to 17 Lands, of course, which are always the statistics that I cite. I've received commentary from some people that their perception is that blue is the consensus weakest color of the format. I don't think that that consensus is based on anything the consensus should be based on. I think that it's based on people listening to particular uh, people that they perceive as authorities who state opinions and then following from that. And I think that this is a danger of content creators undervaluing uh, stats. This leads into kind of a larger picture about my philosophy about content, where I know, like, for example, I personally have a tendency to draft in a way that is very much based on my particular play style, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend other people attempt to mimic. Because I know that I'm giving advice to people who aren't me, I try to ground my um, opinions in stats to make sure that I'm factoring in what other players are actually doing rather than just telling people to do what I do or what I imagine they might do differently. I do think that there's value in other content that doesn't do that and that just says, hey, here's what I've been doing. Here's how and why it's successful. Here's why I've been doing it or whatever. I think there's some danger when a content creator makes objective statements about a format that are informed only by their own experiences rather than taking enough uh, larger information into account. There are a lot of complicated factors going on here. I don't mean to say that anyone else is doing anything like... The content isn't bad just because you focus on other things than what I focus on. I believe in all cases that people should do what they think is right, and it's better for a wider range of things to exist. And there is a lot of content that I enjoy that doesn't follow my personal philosophy about how my content can be most useful to people. But I do think that uh, it's just important to take into account what a content creator is telling you exactly and where they're coming from. And this is to say, if anyone is coming away from any content with a perception that something is a consensus because an authority told you that it was a thing that they thought was true, uh, be careful about what you're believing. 
Anyway, the reason that I believe that blue is open is that if you compare the win rates of blue commons on 17 lands uh, to other colors, the win rates just like aren't lower. If you look at like the best card compared to the second best card, the third, like the, the best card of another color compared to the best blue card, the second best card of another color compared to the second best blue card down the line, red overperforms, black overperforms a little, blue, green, and white are comparable. But then if you look at when people are actually drafting the cards, all the blue, like the, the blue cards that are performing best are all tabling. And the uh, cards in other colors that perform best aren't. So blue is just routinely like a good place to be because the, co- the cards are going uh, later than their um, strength indicates that they should. But I actually think that what's that the reason that it's good to be in blue goes a little bit beyond people have a perception that the color is weaker than it is. Um, it's actually a little bit more specific than that. Another thing that you notice if you just sort the blue commons by win rate is that the instance, like Lantern Bearer is flat out the best blue common. I think you should take it above every other blue common in basically every blue deck. But beyond Lantern Bearer, the next best cards are the instance, not the creatures. So we're talking Scattered Thoughts, Syncopate, Essence, uh, Siphon Essence, Chill of the Grave are like the second through fifth best performing blue common. Whereas the second through fourth highest drafted blue common are Cruel Witnessed, Stitched Assistant, Repository Scab, Binding Geist, and then Wretched Throng is number six, which is to say all of the commons in blue, or all of the common creatures in blue are overdrafted relative to all the common instants in blue. And I know that, (laughs) and I know that the instants are good, and I draft them. And so even if someone is taking blue cards from me, they're usually taking the wrong ones. So I'm in this like color that's under drafted, and then I'm getting the better cards in it, such that like, If I imagine, you know, the person sitting next to me is uh, drafting blue and I'm drafting blue, it's kind of like I'm getting the first pick out of each pack, even though they're like physically taking the card first because I'm getting the card I would have taken anyway. There's still more going on than this because I think, for example, in blue-green, as I've discussed, you do want to prioritize creatures, whereas in other blue combinations, you want to prioritize other cards. And what that means is that uh, it's actually just multiple blue drafters share the color very well because there are a lot of different commons that are playable in different decks and they should just go to the right place such that if I'm drafting like blue-white, I know I'm looking for these commons. If I'm drafting blue-red, I'm looking for these commons. If I'm drafting blue-green, etc. That means that it's like if you just start blue and then see which kinds of blue cards you see, and then you know go into the color that supports the blue cards that you have well. It's really easy to just end up in a deck where the specific cards that you want are completely open. Anyway, blue's very good. There are a lot of different ways to draft it, and it's underdrafted, therefore I draft it a lot. Therefore I have a lot of experience with it. Therefore I feel very comfortable talking about blue relative to not blue decks. Therefore, I'm talking about blue-red, despite the fact that I've already talked about the other blue archetypes before I uh, talk about the other archetypes. So, 
Now let's get into actually talking about Blue Red. Blue Red has a 56% win rate across the format in general, which puts it tied with Blue White for third best performing behind Red Black and Red Green. So it's a pretty good deck to be in. Normally, and you would uh, notice this with my discussion of Blue Red in most previous formats, there's a lot of tension between blue cards and red cards that can make drafting Blue Red a little bit tricky. In general, red cards are very aggressive and blue cards are very controlling. And you often end up needing to choose, okay, am I a red-based deck with aggressive creatures and blue tempo spells, or am I a blue-based deck with blue card advantage control and control elements and red removal? But in this format, the two colors actually just play well together. There's still the case that you want to figure out, like, okay, am I more, you know, that, like, red philosophy or that blue philosophy but like the fact that Lantern Bearer is the best blue common, when Lantern Bearer is both just a good aggressive card and also a good aggressive card that plays particularly well with the blood mechanic that red has, that makes the natural synergies a lot easier. But it goes much deeper than that. One of the better red commons is Voltaire and Epicure, a 1-1 that does multiple things when it enters the battlefield. And that plays well with the blue mechanic, Exploit, which wants you to have a creature that's not very good once it's on the battlefield that you can sacrifice. Also, Bloody Betrayal, the Threaten, similarly plays well with Exploit. So we have multiple strong red commons that play well with the blue theme in Exploit. Also, red has very strong removal in the form of Flame Blast Bolt and a Braid. These are both cheap and instant, which means that they play really well with blue. The fact that they're cheap means they play well with card draw. The fact they're instant means they play well with counterspells. In general, red does tend to have cheaper removal than black, but it's not often this radical. You don't often get two strong instant speed common removal spells for one or two mana. That's just as good as it gets. Like a braid is a you know rarity shifted uncommon that uh, is common in this format. Then on top of all that, there's also just the fact that like, okay, so red has two cheap instant speed removal spells. The problem with them is they only kill small creatures. Well, that's great. Blue has bounce spells and counter spells and chill the grave all at pretty good rates that allow you to deal with larger, more expensive creatures easily, such that, you know, red naturally fills blue's hole of answering cards that get in under your counter magic, and blue naturally blue fills red's hole of not being able to deal well with expensive creatures. So just across the board, the two colors complement and synergize, uh, complement each other and synergize really well. Also, this is just more of the same, when you have a limited deck that uh, really leans into playing a lot of cantrips as a deck based on, uh, say, this interaction between Kassig Flame Breather and Ancestral Anger might. It's often the case that that deck will have a problem with flooding out because mana is such that it's hard to play very many fewer than 17 lands in limited when you're playing two colors because you won't have enough sources of either of your colors to reliably cast your spells. But that's a higher land count than you really want for your ability to spend mana over a long game, which means that if you fill your deck, fill your deck with a bunch of air 
um, or cantrips, cards that uh, do something little and then draw another card, because they're not guaranteed to draw another spell. They function similarly to playing fewer spells and more lands, uh, such that you just ultimately end up floating out. The blood mechanic works perfectly to counteract that, because when you draw these extra lands in the late game, you discard them, and now you turn uh, both lands and spells in your deck into kind of like these cycling cantrips, and um, that just gives you the velocity to keep finding more of your card draw and uh, keep doing the thing you wanted your deck to do. So the interaction between blood and cantrips is another space where there's just natural synergy between blue and red mechanics. Broadly speaking, there's just a lot to like if you're in this color pair in terms of the cards playing well together. The major point where you need to like whether you're doing the red thing or the blue thing is the poor interaction between reckless impulse and counter spells. Uh, I mean, reckless impulse is weak with instants in general, but it's not that big of a deal. If you hit a braid off your reckless impulse, that's fine. But if you had a counter spell off reckless impulse, there's almost no way you're going to get to uh, cash that card. Both counter spells and reckless impulse are solid playables. They're they're not amazing, but they're cards that are often going to make your deck. But you want to choose generally, you know, as as much as possible. You don't want to play a lot of both of them. If you have to have one reckless impulse in your counter spell deck or one counter spell in your reckless impulse deck, and there are other reasons for this, that might be fine. But if your deck has three reckless impulses and three counter spells, you're probably doing something wrong. So yeah, that that that's the big like. Okay, am I like the the reckless impulse sorcery deck or the counter spell instant deck is a question you want to ask. Beyond that, there's a little bit more flexibility. But one thing that's just kind of generally happening with most blue red decks is that you're going to have and want a very low curve and that's going to be supported well by uh like when you empty your hand quickly because you have a low curve you have uh more mana available to use your blood tokens and you have mana available to cast blue card draw spells like scattered thoughts it's better to like lean into this than hedge against it which is to say you do want to generally avoid playing um a lot of expensive spells falcon wrath celebrants is good enough blast rate flash isn't basically Despite the fact that you're, you know, leaning on red for removal, you want to lean on red for the cheap removal and then count on blue cards to deal with the stuff that you might need last rate flesh rather than a braid or flame blast, flame blast bolt to deal with. And you want to try to avoid playing last rate flesh in your blue red decks. The expensive sorcery is just not something that works well with the blue cards. As I mentioned, you still can uh, very much choose whether you're more like in the aggressive or controlling space here the aggressive space i've had a lot of success with like just having really as many lantern bearers and voldaren epicures as you i can possibly get i think i've played nine of them total in one deck and they work well together because you can discard your lantern bearers to your epicures and then put the lantern bearer on the epicure to make a 2-2 flyer you're turning this like 1-1 from epicure that kind of stop being a card into being a card again without like risking them killing your thing and then you not getting much value out of, out of the lantern bearer and the curve all works and stuff that deck can also prioritize kessig flame breather and then once you're in the kessig flame breather space you would like to be playing a lot of reckless impulses and ancestral angers to the extent that kessig flame breather is pushing you toward 
playing Reckless Impulse, it pushes against playing counter spells, but it's also fine to play Kessig Flame Breather as just kind of like your early play before getting into counter spells because it works reasonably well defensively and all that. Another thing to be considering is the extent to which you're trying to take advantage of exploit. Obviously, the more Lantern Bearers, Valderian Apicures, and Wretched Throngs you're playing, the more you're going to be interested in Stitched Assistant and Repository Scab. If you have enough of those creatures that are good to sacrifice that you want to play a few of the exploit cards, then you start getting into the territory where you want to think about Bloody Betrayal. And that's good space to be in. Bloody Betrayal is actually one of the best performing cards in this archetype. Like, it's the uh, third best performing common ahead of Lantern Bearer when it's played in blue-red decks. That obviously doesn't mean that it's generally, that like you should draft it ahead of Lantern Bearer or that all of your blue-red decks will want it more than Lantern Bearer or that any of them will. You need to know that you can actually use it well and everything and the decks that use it well also use Lantern Bearer well. It is just to say that the sacrifice uh, synergies with Bloody Betrayal are real and there's, you know, like proven successful. Other people have done it and they've done it successfully. It's interesting to note just in terms of talking about like how well blue and red play that they've, they're even stepping on the normal red-black synergy spaces toes here where like Giralf the Rare is probably the best sack outlet to pair with Bloody Betrayal and that's blue. And then while black has a cheaper exploit creature in um, the two mana 2-2, two -two, that card is not as good as Stitched Assistant. And then Black's, Black also has a five mana common, which is kind of too expensive in a way that Repository Scab isn't, such that blue actually ends up being the better color at common to pair with Bloody Betrayal also. So... Yeah, the, the, the Sack Steel archetype has somehow largely shifted into blue-red in this archetype, or in this format. That's kind of the big picture stuff. I guess it's worth noting that Fearful Villager plays pretty well. Cruel Witness is, like, slightly underperforms. You know, like I said, I, th I think you want to prioritize low curve. Sometimes you want to prioritize instance. Uh, Witness is a little on the expensive side. Falcon Wrath Celebrants, again, better because of what I've said about how blood is really valuable for this uh, archetype. Also, there's a lot more synergy between Falcon Wrath Celebrants and Lantern Bearer than Cruel Witness and Lantern Bearer, though there's, you know, a little bit of synergy with Cruel Witness and Lantern Bearer in that uh, it can't potentially mill a Lantern Bearer to use it at your graveyard. I suppose Lantern Bearer isn't technically the only disturbed creature that you can use in this archetype that combos with blood, but the other commons aren't particularly good. The, the uncommons also aren't particularly good. Lantern Bearer is most of the disturbing that you want to be doing here. Yeah, I think that covers all the kind of big picture stuff I wanted to talk about. Let's get into a few notes on like overdrafted, underdrafted type stuff. Reckless Impulse slightly underperforms relative to how much it's played. I suspect that that's because of people playing it in some portion of blue-red decks where they probably shouldn't be playing it, uh, either because their curve is too high or because they have too many instants, especially too many counterspells. I mentioned Last Rate Flash is bad. Lightning Wolf, Daybreak Combatants, and Ceremonial Knife are all really, really, really bad. You definitely want to try to avoid playing those. I have personally played... 
ceremonial knife in that deck that uh, had six lantern bearers and three Voldaren Epicures. There are exceptional circumstances that can justify cards that are generally pretty bad, but that's not the mana sink you're looking for in this format in blue-red. You would uh, generally greatly prefer to just play some card draw, spend blood to find more spells, cast other spells. There are enough other sources of blood that you shouldn't need Ceremonial Knife here, where Ceremonial Knife might be a little bit better in something like a white-black deck or like white-green, somewhere where you're not going to have enough access to blood without it. Um, even blue-white sometimes. Voldaren Apicure is undervalued. Card doesn't look very strong because it looks very low impact, but um, it's just really nice to get the body out, start getting some pressure in. The blue-red decks are often pretty good at finishing out with chip damage from like Lantern Bearers and Kessig Flame Breathers. So if you get a few points in early with Voldaren Apicure, it's nice. The blood uh, does a lot to make up for the fact that you're down a card, and then you also can exploit the body. It also just helps you with, um, you know, really good cards like Alluring Suitor. Whispering Wizard is extremely overvalued. That's the uncommon 4-mana 3-2 that makes a 1-1 flyer when you cast a spell. It's That's not to say that it's bad, it's just, you know, an expensive sorcery speed creature that uh, dies to Flame Blast Bolts. And you basically need to untap with it to start getting value. And it's taken really, really highly. It's uh, prioritized over most other uncommons. And it is not better than most other uncommons that are good. Uh, another similar Lamholt Raconteur or Raconteur or however you pronounce that word is a trap. So if Whispering Wizard is merely overvalued, Raconteur is like both overvalued and not good. I think that people have good experiences with Cassic Flame Breather and see this as an uncommon version and assume that it's, you know, as good or better or similarly, similarly desirable. And it isn't. It's twice the mana for the same effect. And then it's like, oh, well, blue-red's really good at flipping werewolves because you just don't do things on your turn. Yeah, there's some of that, but if you're filling your deck with, you know, Reckless Impulses and Ancestral Angers, you're not going to be very good at flipping it. So if you're really trying to lean into, like, I'm going to get two damage off of each of my cantrips, you need to make sure that, like, all of your cantrips are instants. And that's a lot of Jilly Graves, I guess. Screaming Swarm performs horribly. Screaming Swarm is an interesting one in that there are decks where I really like it. I could imagine more controlling blue-red decks where I might play it. But... In general, your aggressive blue-red decks do not want this card. Ballista Watcher, another one that slightly underperforms, though I've generally had reasonably positive experiences with it. I think that mostly covers my, you know, overrated, underrated, or whatever uh, type notes. I guess it's also worth mentioning that playing more of this format, aggressive two-drops have slightly underperformed. Particularly two ones like Wretched Throng and Blood Petal Celebrant are not very good at attacking. There are just a lot of three mana creatures that have um, three or four toughness that the two mana two power creatures are really bad at attacking into. Um, especially if it's like a kindly ancestor where uh, you both can't attack in and it's going to be undoing some early damage you've done. That's, that's just not a card you want to play against if you're playing a Blood Celebrant deck. And then even 
you know, with like Wretched Throng. I mean, point is, the three drops in general line up well against uh, those sorts of aggressive two drops, such that those aggressive two drops are uh, relatively bad in this format compared to how they might be in other formats. It's good to have two drops in your blue-red deck. You have tempo spells to deal with those, like tempo and removal spells to deal with those three drops that you can keep connecting with your two drops. It's not like you should never put a Wretched Throng or a Blood Petal Celebrant in your deck, but they're worse than Kessig Flame Breather, and um, you shouldn't really be prioritizing them as much as one might otherwise prioritize two drops. Basically, you just want to play a bunch of Lantern Bearers instead. Yeah, that... That covers what I have to say. We are going to turn it over to Twitch chat for questions. While I'm waiting for those, I want to thank my newest patrons, Glumchurch, Joe, Axel, Brian, Brian, and LDP3. Uh, thank you very much, um, all of you, for joining the patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes Patreon and supporting the program. If anyone else is interested, head over to that website and check out what we offer. There are a lot of uh, perks. See if any of them appeal to you. And um, how about the show? All right. Questions from Twitch chat. Question about red decks more generally. Could it have a low enough curve with enough blood to guarantee rummaging every land above four that you would cut Falconrath Celebrant? to not run, any, run anything above four mana value, or is hitting five lands just too valuable for being able to double spell or maybe celebrants worth it for five on its own? Yeah, I, I talked about this when I was talking about red-black, that you could hypothetically, particularly in red-black, generate enough treasure to avoid playing your fifth land and then not want to put Falconrath Celebrants in your deck, but that there's a serious danger to doing it in that it makes it really hard to double spell and there's basically no way that you can play a game of magic where double spelling isn't important. Also, using blood costs mana. So if you engineer this spot where you're not double spelling, you're going to be using so much of your mana, casting your one spell per turn, that you're gonna end up a little bit choked on just being able to like activate your blood fast enough to like cycle these lands in time such that, that you're not just like getting too constrained by not playing your fifth blood, your fifth land just to activate another blood token. So I don't think in general that you want to shoot for only playing four lands. And then that's much more true in blue, where you're more likely to double spell, more likely to have more card draw, more likely to want to spend that mana churning through cards. Also where like syncopate exists and stuff, such that if it's very rarely right in black uh, red to plan to stop at four, it's almost never right, right in blue red to plan to stop at four. Next question, do I really think, do I think Bloody Betrayal really needs the sac effects to be good? I No, I, I can believe that it's okay to play it if you're just very aggressive and don't have sac effects and do have some blood um, since you can discard when it's bad, especially if you are a little bit more ground-based um, such that you're kind of more likely to need that to push through. I don't think that you're going to, like... If you see that it's you know a card that performs well and you're taking it because you know that it's strong in blue red, I don't think you're going to see those like 58% game and hand win rate type. It's not going to play as a 58% game and hand win rate type card uh, when you can never sacrifice the creature. 
Um, but I, I do think that there will be aggressive decks that are aggressive enough that, you know, it's like okay to play it as, you know, an additional like burn spell. What cards pull you to the controlling version of blue red? So as with any control deck, the best answer is going to be something like Hullbreaker Horror, where um, you only really want to be controlling if you have an expensive game-winning bomb and your game your goal is just to prolong the game until you draw it and it takes over. Um, so like Hullbreaker Horror itself is going to account for a substantial version or a substantial portion of um, times that it's correct to draft a very controlling version of Blue-Red. Olivia's Attendance, I think is the name of the 6-6 uh, red creature that pings, would be another example of that kind of card. For me personally, Witness the Future is another card that does that, but that's uh, largely because I have more fun casting Witness the Future than doing roughly anything else one can do in a game of Magic. So I'm going to like err slightly toward doing that even when it's not right. For people who are like trying to win and or are other people, they should probably be controlling as a function of getting expensive bombs rather than uh, fiddly uncommons that they want to spend the maximum amount of time fiddling with. Next question, are there diminishing returns on Lantern Bearer? Cards should I value more as my number of Lantern Bearers go up? In my experience, there are increasing returns, if anything, certainly not diminishing returns. Um, when you have a lot of them, you just play like multiple lantern bearers and start attacking and then your opponent has to deal with one of them because they're taking so much damage, but it doesn't really get them anywhere because you just play it from your graveyard and uh, continue your air force. So I would never uh, like take a different common over a lantern bearer because I have too many lantern bearers. As to the second question, what cards you should prioritize more as you have more lantern bearers, that is a thing. Lantern Bearers play really well with uh, both blood and exploit creatures. Also just with like, you know, large ground creatures that you can give flying to profitably. But mostly the answer is something like a Stitched Assistant, which is a bad attacker by itself, but a very good attacker if you put Lantern Bearer on it. Also Lantern Bearer will let you exploit um, cheaply. Yeah, Stitched Assistant Repository Scab are the biggest gainers or whatever from Lantern Bearer. Then Voldaren Epicure also plays well with Lantern Bearer because the blood is good with Lantern Bearer and because Epicure is good with the exploit creatures. So you end up just like doubling down and supporting your exploit creatures that you're going to want anyway because you have a lot of Lantern Bearers and it all just kind of fits well together. But, you know, Falconrath Celebrants doesn't mind having a lot of Lantern Bearers either. Next question, how does Wretched Throng fit into Blue Red's plan? How many is too many to play? It fits in okay it's a cheap card that gives you board presence and uh then when it dies you can either play another one to keep the chain going or at the end of your chain you might be like well this can't chain again so it's just a two one that's a pretty bad card i'm going to discard it to blood maybe you even do that before the end of your chain because you have reached the point of the game where you just don't want a two one so it's kind of nice that uh you can kind of like turn your wretched throng from I chain into I replace myself with mystery card in a way that kind of incentivizes you not to worry about having a lot of throngs in your deck and means that it's fine to play just like two or three wretched throngs rather than wanting to play a fourth, which makes it more likely that the fourth is too many. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say the fourth probably is too many because drawing two naturally is quite bad and um, you just don't need that many two drops and the card's not that good. Uh, where like 
you might want it because you're a little low on two drops, especially if you have good exploit cards. But don't worry about getting a lot of them. Don't prioritize them very highly. Uh, your deck most often won't be meaningfully improved by playing them, uh, even if you have, you know, three of them. And yeah, they're, they're like acceptable filler if you get multiple, but they really shouldn't be like a substantial portion of your draft strategy. Reiterating the, is there any number of lantern bearers where I'd potentially stop picking them at, or is five plus still okay? I was very happy to play six and I would not have turned down a seventh in that deck. Next question is blue red, a deck that mainly comes together at common. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of very good uncommons for blue red, uh, rending flame, alluring suitor, Lunar Rejection, Wandering Mind are all outstanding. And then like Biolumeg will take Visionary, Storm Chaser Drake, um, Vampire's Vengeance, Diver Scab are all like pretty important good cards. But it is an archetype that is, if I have to build my deck with mostly commons, I'm not afraid, which is which can't be said for a lot of archetypes. It's not that there aren't good uncommons and rares that meaningfully improve the deck, but it is the case that there is enough synergy at common and enough access to various different things that you want to do with the deck that you can make just like a good deck out of all or mostly commons. So the answer is it's the good version of whatever you're asking about. Next question, the 2-1 Flying Drake uncommon, that is to say Storm Chaser Drake, has been absolutely great for me in this archetype. How has your experience been with the card? Yeah, uh, I mean, you definitely want evasive pressure as a major thing that you're doing, which it provides. Also, it makes your ancestral angers amazing, such that rather than just being, you know, turning one mana cantrip into one mana divination is like way better than anything comparable. Like it, it's just, it's a, it's a whole different, like, it, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I, I like. It's much more good than like targeting Drake with a pump spell is or than like uh, targeting something that gets some other benefit from being targeted with Ancestral Anger would be because it just makes it so easy to chain and Ancestral Anger is a card that's asking you to have multiple copies anyway. So yeah, uh, Drake, Drake is certainly a good card to prioritize in this archetype. And then obviously it, you know, lets you draw cards off your Dead Lantern Bearers. You can also uh, turn Chill at the Grave into an um, instant speed divination, which uh, does lock down your Drake, but is still sometimes something you want to do. And talk a little about how much I value counterspells versus other instants with similar uh, mana value versus each other. Yeah, I suppose. I have been taking Chill of the Grave over Siphon Essence. They have very comparable win rates and at the same casting cost, and that's like a pretty interesting pick. I think that Chill of the Grave is kind of, it asks less of you. It's going to be, like, particularly in blue-red, where sometimes counter spells are good and sometimes they're less good, particularly because of the, like, Reckless Impulse situation. Also, I think that there are, like, diminishing returns on Siphon Essence, where there will be spots where you really don't want to be holding up a counter because you're behind and you need to be catching up. And if you've drawn multiple Siphon Essences, uh, you might just have to pass. Your opponent might be able to play around it. You might not be able to spend your mana. That might cause problems. Whereas if you have multiple Chill of the Graves, uh, you just keep your opponent's creatures locked down forever. Um, one of the more fun decks that I've had in this format was uh, five Chill of the Graves to... Um, 
witness the futures and the white wrath. I found that uh, just putting more and more chill of the graves in my deck was actually really powerful. I guess like when in doubt at a comparable cost, I've been erring away from counter spells toward the other instance, but I do still like to have the counter spells in my deck. I guess I would say it's interesting. Like I think that counter spells are better than chill of the grave, relatively speaking, like more good in blue white where chill of the grave is less good because your creatures have evasion. So you're chilling their guy is preventing damage, but not helping you get through most of the time. And like you have like the low curve where like siphon essence is going to play pretty well because you're usually going to be ahead. The more you're in the opposite space from that, the more likely it is that you're going to be behind the more ground creatures you have, the more chill rises in quality relative to siphon essence. I guess like maybe the other card to ask about here is like how scattered thoughts compares to counter spells and that one's weirder like you want to mix i can't really say like this is better than that both want you to have a low curve both want you to have instance but it's just like you want to have both card dry and counter spell in your hand at the same time such that you can you know play whichever one's appropriate so that's more of a like balancing act than a prioritize this over that next question thoughts on alchemists gambit so that's uh not alchemist's retrieval um so that's the rare i know the rare has very bad stats it's one where anybody's sample size with it is probably going to be pretty low and how good it is is going to be very variable so i would be inclined to trust the stats over basically anyone's you know limited number of experiences with it such that it's one where I'm inclined to just trust the stats and not play with it rather than like trying it myself. And, you know, maybe I end up like drawing it twice and it was good or whatever. And then I think it's a good card, except I don't actually, because I wouldn't trust those two games where it was good over the stats that say that it's like pretty decisively bad. I'm not interested in, in it in blue red. Either you're controlling enough that the extra turn is not that big of a deal or you're aggressive enough that you don't want a seven drop. If you're some kind of like, weird teamer deck with a lot of like green ramp stuff then i might try it out but uh it's i i don't think there's a blue red deck that would want to play it next question do i feel that blue red is the deck that is most competitive without rares i think that blue red and blue white are very comparable in that space both have like counters plus good removal plus uh, good evasive pressure in a way that is kind of like a good formula for um, dealing with opposing bombs. Both can be like the right kind of aggressive deck. I, I don't know that it's the best. It's definitely like a relatively good deck to be in that space. As I mentioned, it's like fully cohesive at common. Next question, how have you felt about Wandering Mind? Is it unappealing if it's mostly finding counter spells face up? No, I don't have any problem with the face-up counter spell. My opponent, like, it's hard to not just like not cast spells because your opponent has mana up. And in those decks, I'm often going to have other stuff to do at instant speed. I know your question implies that I don't, but I guess I just don't draft very many blue-red decks that have like 10 counter spells and no other hits. It's a really strong card. I mean, it, its win rate is above uh, Flame Blast Bolt, which is to say above all the commons. It's very frustrating. <laughs> Uh, to miss with it, which I've done multiple times in decks that are very likely to, that are very unlikely to miss with it. But I mean, it's 
like the card's super good. I mean, like uh, 2-1 flyer for three is an outstanding rate. And most of the time, this is better than that. Most of the time, it's drawing a spell and giving you selection over what that spell is. Yeah, just solidly a very good card. So that's going to do it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And I will be back next week to cover an archetype that isn't blue. I've uh, talked about all of the blue decks. So I'm going to have to... Uh, either move out of my comfort zone or expand my comfort zone a little bit. Hopefully, I will manage to do the expanding my comfort zone one of those. But uh, yeah, tune in, tune in next week to see where the format takes me. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I will be back then. Speed.